Find your Bible, open it to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6. As you'll remember, the book of Galatians was an epistle written by the Apostle Paul really to clear up some ambiguity on what's required for a person to be saved. A problem had drifted into the church by a group called the Judaizers who were advocating not only was it personal faith in Christ, but also for a person to be right with God, salvation was contingent them upon them converted to Judaism, the rite of circumcision, keeping all the Jewish laws, the religious feasts, proper observation of the Sabbath, and on and on and on. So the book of Galatians then was written that to tell us and reaffirm to us once again that salvation is by grace through faith alone. It's not salvation through grace plus, plus penance or religious works, or it's not about keeping these festivals or keeping the law. It is simply believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I, it was Adrian Rogers who one time said this, Jesus plus anything else equals nothing, but Jesus plus nothing else equals everything. And that really is what the book of Galatians is about. And so Paul was reinforcing this as he began this epistle. Matter of fact, in chapter 1, verse 8, he said, Listen, even if an angel from heaven would come and preach a different gospel than I had preached to you, let that one be accursed. But now we're getting to the final chapter of this book today in the passage that I want to preach from. And it was a reminder that the gospel has powerfully gone out and transformed your life. But it's not about you. Not simply you, it's corporate nature and application because the gospel is relational. Yes, it's about right belief, but it's a right, about right behavior in the church and it requires some personal responsibility. Yes, it's about forgiveness, it's about encouragement, it's about restoration. It's about finding the purpose that God has for you and you doing it with a due sense of responsibility in how you treat other people. And so leading into chapter 6, he relates how the church can be spiritually vibrant and staying on task to rightfully fulfill the mission to which you and I have been called. So I'm entitling this message today, Indeed, How We Evaluate Our Own Personal Spiritual Effectiveness. So please stand once again. Man, we've had you up and down seven times today. We're getting a little exercise physically as well as spiritually, I guess. Let me read the text, then we'll be seated, and I want to unpack this, uh, these 10 verses today. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of, look what it says, gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also become tempted. Verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and fulfill, fulfill the law of Christ. For anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But each one, let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, but in another. Not in himself alone, but in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Verse 6, let him who taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Be not deceived, God's not mocked, for whatever man sows, he also will reap. For he who sows to the flesh will reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart or do not faint. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, but especially to those who are of the household 
of faith. Father, I pray today that you'd fill me with your spirit. You would speak from this text of scripture the things you desire to say to our heart collectively as a church, but to individually that we would apply it. We would take it to heart and we would not lose heart, that we'd be found faithful to the end. I pray to that, to that end today in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So what I'd like to do as we walk through this text of Scripture today is simply ask you some questions that I believe come from this text of Scripture. And you'll find in the compass there that there are uh, indeed the help with the outline. You can kind of just fill in the blanks if that's beneficial. But the first is a question this. Are you restoring other people? Are you restoring others? Because we read in verse 1, a spiritual person has responsibility, and it's to restore those who are overtaken in a sin. So in essence, we're responsible not for condemnation, but on the contrast, in restoration. You who are spiritual, he says, well, what does it mean to be spiritual? Well, I can assure you there's a lot of spiritual people out there who are in no way related to what Paul is talking about here in in, in the real meaning of being a spiritual person. He's talking about when you and I live our life surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within our heart. Matter of fact, you back up to the previous chapter, some eight times he brings up the Spirit, declaring that we're to walk in the Spirit. He reminds us that our fleshly tendencies will war against the Spirit within us. And if the flesh wins out, Indeed, we can act as any unregenerate person on the street. That's the reason we have the command in the Bible in Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine, where is in excess, but we're to be filled with the Spirit ongoingly. And then he would say in chapter 5 of Galatians that when we're doing that, we're producing something in our life that he would call in verse 22 the fruit of the Spirit. These, these traits, these fruits of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and gentleness and kindness and self-control. And so here's the principle that he's, he's teaching here. Spiritual effective people, they pursue restoration. They're not merely fault finders. They're not simply being critical and condemning of other people. They're not on mission to spiritual, spiritually one-up someone. But they have not set themselves up as judge and jury. Actually, they're seeking to restore. That, that, it's an interesting word in the Greek New Testament. It's actually an orthopedic word meant to one who would reset a bone that had been broken. And he says this is to be done, it's not surprising, with a gentle touch, with a calculated concern for those who was injured. The word is also used in the New Testament to bring together two parties in the church who seem to be at odds that need to be restored. So it's the restoration of unity to be done in humility with forgiveness and done in the spirit of gentleness. So here's the deal. As God's people, we're to always be on a mission to help to make a difference in other people's lives. And that is to restore them, to reconcile them, to bring the wandering ones to Jesus. And indeed, to stay on task We can only do that, hear me today, if our lives are in right relationship to God himself. Listen, if we're living with some kind of closet sin in our life, how could we possibly be on mission to restore someone in their sin? 
Can I tell you, we got to keep the log out of our own eye, and then with the spirit of gentleness, guess what? We can make a difference in other people as well. And here's the danger of violating this principle of gentleness. He said, you also, if you do not do it in this way, may be tempted and fall as well. So here's what the the Bible is saying here. Spiritual pride, pompous attitude, a judgmental spirit can actually be the recipe for your own downfall. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 12, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. Can I tell you today, it's always easier to write people off than it is to restore them. It's always easier to be a little spiritual, uh, uh, spiritually one-up them rather than being caring and empathetic. But it's to be our habitual practice to seek to restore, to redeem, and to recapture. And when we're doing this, we're to be doing it in a spirit of gentleness. Some of you here this morning, even bringing this up, some, the Lord brings someone to mind, somebody that, that, that's wandered away, somebody that's living out of a right relationship with God, and you have, you have a relationship with them. Maybe God is calling you to do this in a right and effective way. Maybe there's someone that comes to mind that, that's in need of, of forgiveness from you, and maybe God would say, hey, you can help restore them if you'll humble yourselves toward them and handle it in a right, gentle way. I know Jesus said this, if you think of someone who has ought against you, you bring your gift to the altar and you recall that, you're to go make yourself right with them before you even give your gift and then come and give your gift at the altar. So first the question is this, are you the kind of person who's seeking to restore those who've fallen away or fallen into sin? Now he moves from the specific in this restoration to really uh, something more general And that is in verse 2, how we're to bear one another's burden. So here's the second question. Are you relieving the burdens of others? Are you relieving the burdens that other people are bearing? That word burden actually refers to a heavy load. Uh, A load so heavy that someone can hardly bear it by themselves. And in context, he's talking about someone who has had a spiritual failure. But can I tell you, bearing one another's burdens is, is certainly more inclusive than simply that. We're to care for, one another, uh, uh, care for one another enough that we're willing to bear a burden with others. You know, I think about my own ministry over the years, the countless times that someone that I would see on Sunday would bear with me the heartache that they were having, maybe of a, a, a rebellious child, a, Uh, or a cancer diagnosis, or a devastation of an impending divorce, a loss of job, or or, or, or the load of having to care for an aging parent. And while they indeed, they told me because they were bearing this burden, they often would use, uh, 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 and they would communicate it by simply saying, would you pray with me about this? Of course, I was willing to pray for them. But after studying this scripture, really, I'm wading through it. You know what they were really saying besides, would you pray with me? Would you bear this burden with me? This load has gotten me down. It's more than I can bear. I'm looking for some help. Pastor, would you help me? Would you bear this burden with me? Oh, can I tell you, we've all got enough that's burdening us down. 
that we individually will become weary and well-doing. And that's how he concludes, if we're not willing to bear one another's burden. And when we do that, look what it says. We fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ. That's a law? The law of Christ? Sure it is. You know what the law of Christ is? It's the unconditional love that we know in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not surprising he'd bring up the law of Christ because he was speaking against these Judaizers and what they were most interested in was how they needed to live by the law. And so he brings up this law that really needs to be implemented in the life of believer, and that's the law of Christ. I want, to think, I want you to think with me just a moment about the law of Christ and really the revelation of God's law. He creates Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They're living in paradise, and he says, well, we only got one law here. Don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or you will surely die. And what did they do? They ate of the forbidden fruit, and they were cast out of the garden. You continue to read the Bible, you get to the book of Exodus. God says, no, there's no longer one law, there's ten laws. Ten laws. And indeed, he would send Moses up to Mount Sinai to get the Decalogue. We know as the Ten Commandments. And God's people would have ten laws. But you read the very next book in the Bible, it's Leviticus. And then in the Levitical law, you find out there's 613 laws that are given. You progress and we learn of the Talmud, 6,200 pages of not only the laws of Judaism, but the customs of Judaism. And then you get to Jesus' day with all of the rabbinical laws, and what had Judaism become? Nothing simply more than rule book religion. And Jesus steps into that context and gives us one law. And he would say to the Pharisees, look, you'll, you will strain a gnat and swallow a camel because these laws are never what's right in getting a relationship with God. You know, go to, go to Israel today and you see a little bit of these laws in place still. You're there on, on the Sabbath day, on Shabbat. If you happen to get in a Shabbat elevator, I remember the first time I went there, I, I, I pushed a button. We're standing on the 15th floor. I push one. Guess what? We're stopping on 14, 13, 12, 11. We're, those elevators will stop on every floor because it's against the law of the Sabbath to push a button because that's work on the Sabbath. That's the kind of things that still exist. Matter of fact, Paul would say right here in the book of Galatians, here's the reason that we've been given the law. It's become our schoolmaster. It's become our tutor. It has brought us to see our need for Jesus Christ. And through him, we've been justified by faith. So I'm telling you, if you want to fulfill the law of Christ, then you're going to have to learn a simple lesson. And that is this, you're going to have to love other people. What did Jesus say? A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you belong to me if you love one another. See, we, we have to be reminded this Christian life, while it is about us, it's not simply just about us. It's about how we love others. How we love others in this church. How we willingly, willingly bear their burdens. How we care for those who are in need. Can I tell you, if we'll live the law of Christ without exception, it will bring unity and oneness in this church. When people quit saying, well, what about me? And start saying, well, what about you? 
they'll discover that's what love does. Paul says it's patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it keeps no records of wrongs, it doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices in truth, it always trusts, it always perseveres, and love never fails. That's the principle of restoration. It's the principle of you being willing to bear burdens of others. Let me move quickly. Thirdly, this evaluation of spiritual effectiveness, I'm asking you this question. Are you recalling this reoccurring truth that's being taught here in verses 7 and 8? This reoccurring truth. Listen to what it says. Be not deceived. God's not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, he also shall reap. The one who, who sows to the, to the flesh will reap, uh, will, reap, will reap condemnation. But those who sow to the Spirit will reap life everlasting. You know as well as me, this principle is taught throughout the Bible. You reap what you sow. We know it is the law of likeness. It's the law of echoes. It's in summary where there's an action, there's consequences, there's a reaction. And the spiritual truth that's being emphasized here, when you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap life everlasting. But if you don't, you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. This principle is often referred to as the law of the harvest because this is an agrarian truth, isn't it? You sow apple seeds, you don't get a pear tree. You sow corn seeds, you do not reap a pumpkin. It's the law of likeness. It's equally true. If you're not sowing any seeds in your life, you're not going to reap anything. Because we reap what we sow. It's not just true in farming, though. It's true in your finances, isn't it? He who sows sparingly is going to reap sparingly. The one who sows bountifully is going to reap bountifully. Every man is he purpose in his heart. Let him give. It's true in finances. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And here it is. Whatever measure you give is the measure that's going to be given back to you as well. Can I tell you, if there's been no blessings in your life, could it be in not understanding the simple truth? The reason that you give is get because you give. Not because you should give to get. But that's the principle, not a promise. The principle that's being taught in the Word of God. God will give back to you as you give as well. This principle of reciprocation is true. It's true in farming. It's true in finances. It's true in your life. It's true in judging others. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Remember what he said? Judge not, lest you also be judged. For whatever measure you judge, it's going to be measured back to you as well. As I was reading through the Bible in the book of Judges, I ran on to a story that I had read several times, but it certainly fits here. It, God's people had, had, had captured this rival king named Adonibizek. And in Judges 1-7, the king would say, 70 kings with their big toes and thumbs used to pick up scraps under my table, and God has repaid me for what I've done. And they took that rival king, guess what? They cut off his thumbs and big toes. And he said, this is what happened to me because what I have done. God is paying me back for exactly what I've done to others. And it says then they took him off to Jerusalem and there he died. 
So this rival king would simply say to us today, this principle is true. It's true in our lives. What I've given away, God has given back to me. It'll eventually land in our lap. And it says here, God will not be mocked. And for you to think you're going to break this this principle, this truth in the Bible, then it's simply not going to happen. God will not be mocked. You continue to break the laws of God, you'll pay the consequences. You find yourself deceiving others. You find yourself embezzling funds from your company. You're cheating on a spouse. You're propagating lies. And you think it's being done behind the drape. The word of God says, no, it's not. You'll be paying for these things. And if you believe otherwise, you're mocking God. There's going to be a day of reckoning. There's going to be a payday someday. If you sow to the flesh, your carnality, you'll, you'll, you'll indeed will reap corruption. But conversely, you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap life everlasting. Certainly, which brings us, brings us to this question, what kind of seeds have you been sowing? Gospel seeds? Oh, God, help us to sow some gospel seeds as we live our lives. Sow some seeds of hope and redemption for those that we have privilege to interact with. Sow some seeds of love and forgiveness, of hope, of kindness, of mercy. Don't be sowing seeds of discord, of bitterness, of anger, of selfishness, and certainly of sexual immorality. To be reminded the things done in darkness will one day be brought to light. What kind of seeds are you sowing? Don't forget this reoccurring principle. You reap what you sow. Let's quit with this, the fourth thing. Are you remaining faithful? It's really what he's asking in verses 9 and 10. He's bringing this epistle to to its close, and he's saying, and let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we're going to reap if we don't faint. How about doing good to all people? And then he says, but especially unto those who are the household faith. So he concludes with a plea. Don't become exhausted. Don't become fatigued in serving the Lord. We must continue to persevere, to be positive, not to become weary and worn out, but stay strong, be resilient, set our face like flint to our God-given mission, and let's not quit. It was Vince Lombardi who one time said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. How true it is. Can I tell you, there's a lot of worn out people in churches. They have become weary in well-doing. But our mission is not to be overwhelmed because the mission or the task is too enormous. And usually the problem is not that at all, but things have gotten petty and personal. And now all of our energy is being spent on suspicion, fear, hurt, gossip, and threats. And you know as well as me, that will flat wear a person out. You know, we hear this phrase used oftentimes, I, well, I think I'm about burnout. I'm about burnout. What does that really mean? You know, I tried to think of a definition. I, I, to me, being burnt out is a person's wore out to the point they're about to check out. <laughs> they're about to, about to quit. 
But I've learned this, it's really not so much because physically they're worn out. There's usually more to it than that. And if you're feeling a little burned out today, maybe you need to look a little deeper within to see what really the problem is. Dayton Moore is the general manager of the Kansas City Royals, and we're not having a very good season this year. Uh, but we did get to enjoy some great seasons in 2014-15 when we won the World Series and was runner-up one year. But Dayton was there seven previous years to the success we had in those two years and had seven consecutive losing seasons. I mean, we were always the cellar dweller. It was painful. He was meeting with a group of pastors. He's a Christian man. I count him as a dear friend. But I'll never forget what he said to us as pastors. He said, you know, during the lowliness of those days, I was feeling burned out. But when I'd get along with the Lord, you know what I realized? There, that was, it wasn't that I was so physically burned out. But there was usually something within. That there was unforgiveness in my heart. And it made its way into a root of bitterness towards someone. And then he said this, or I found myself comparing myself to other people and they always had it better. Oh, how true it is. Is that not the problem in the church oftentimes? There's a spirit of unforgiveness within us. We get bitter towards someone. It, it gets within our heart and soul and there's a root of bitterness within. And of course we're worn out. Or we find ourselves looking around and someone always has it better than us. And we're working harder than they are. Or we're doing better than they are. We're more spiritual than they are. And look what's happening with them. Can I tell you, oftentimes this can happen in isolation. You begin to pull back a little bit from the people of God. You're no longer interacting. There's no longer fellowship. You're no longer involved in maybe your, 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 your group, your, your fellowship group, your K group, whatever Bible study group that you're involved in, and you're isolating yourself, and pretty soon you feel alone. And life is hard when we live it alone. It'll cripple you. God doesn't mean us to live this life in isolation, but to live one with another. Sometimes it's not isolation. No, it's frustration. Oh, you're connected with people, all right, but they've irritated you. You've been hurt. You've been ignored. You've been disappointed. They've disappointed you. And there's this forgiveness that it's made you sour and bitter within and all you can do now is point a finger of them, at, at them when the issue really is in your own heart and life. It's not surprising in verse 5 he says, everyone here, while we're to bear one another's burdens, he said, you've got to bear your own load. You've got to be spiritually responsible. You cannot simply blame your bad behavior on someone else's bad behavior. That blame game never works. Oh, we like to use it because it dismisses our, our, our bad choices. We feel better about ourselves if we can say, well, the reason I'm this way because they're my problem. Hey, can I tell you, just about all of us has had a difficult past. A lot of hurts, a lot of shame. But people survive through those things. Yes, you can get through a broken home, an alcoholic father, of being abused, being molested, or even living your life chronically ill. So hear me today, if you're broken within, you cannot let your painful past destroy your future and diminish your hope. 
We cannot use excuses. We've got to take ownership for our lives. And God will get us to a place and put the pieces back together because he makes all things new. We have to do this if we're going to be healthy, persevering Christians. So today, this is about a reevaluation of your spiritual life. Are you here today and growing weary? Are you blaming others? Are you quick to condemn others? Are you quick to justify your own unacceptable behavior? Have you isolated yourself? Are you just simply irritated with other people to the point that you're no longer finding joy in walking with God? Oh, listen to me today. Spiritual weariness is always crouching at the door. But we have to take responsibility. And here's the resolve. Let us do good to all men. What's Jesus say? It's more blessed to give than it is receive. You keep on giving, your life will be happy, Jesus says. So will you take these principles home with you today? One, let's care for others. Let's seek to restore them. Let's bear one another's burdens. Let's be givers. Let's allow the energy that we have, the efforts that we have been given by God to do productive things. Let's be honest in evaluation of our own life. Are there some besetting sins that we need to rid ourselves of before they take us down and disqualify us? Jesus will set you free. So how do we conclude? I'm going to conclude with the three verses that you know well. Seeing that we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin that does so easily entangle us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. For consider him who endured such hostility against himself, lest ye become weary and discouraged in your own heart. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me today? As David comes with this hymn of invitation, and we've covered a lot of ground today, and I pray that as we've sought to unpack this, these truths that, that you've found some application in your life, certainly I have. And now as we have this public invitation we do so because we give you opportunity if God's dealing with you about something that you would want to enlist the prayers of someone else to come and have opportunity to do that here at the church if you come we'll seek to bear the burden that you're carrying today You may be here and there's a lot of anger in your, your heart in life. You've been, you've been hurt by others. You've been ignored. People have disappointed you. And this message simply today is saying this. You cannot let that be the distractor of your life. God will use it as he can and will 
to make all things work together for good to those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Maybe God wants to use that to, to draw you to himself today. I pray that's the case. It's never too late for a new beginning with God. Never too late to start over. Never too late to come home. Never too late to surrender your heart, your life to him. Would you come today when we stand to our feet? Father, we do pray in all earnest that you would work among us. We stand on the promise that when we preach the Bible, it doesn't return void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. And today, Lord, we have sown a lot of seeds here. And maybe some will land on hard soil. Maybe some rocky, some thorny. But I'm praying, oh Lord, some would find some good soil. And produce in that individual's life some 30, 60, 100 fold for the sake of our Savior. For the edification of this body. For the glory of God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. David, you lead us while we sing. We've got those who will pray with you if you'll come. Be my joy as well. Staff's at the front. You come now. I ask you to come on the first verse if God's spoken to your heart. While we sing, God calls. You come right now. Come. Make me a servant, humble and meek. Lord, let me lift up those who church members from Lenaxa Baptist Church here today and sitting over here on the front row, Vicki Aldridge, grew up at Hoffman Town and member of uh, my church, Lenaxa Baptist, for a lot of years, her and her husband Dan, and, and so Vicki, God bless you for being here, good to see you, have you on the front row, and we're glad to know that Jeanetta is here today, and uh, I'm going to go to her uh, group that she's speaking to upstairs. I'm friends with uh, her sister, Susie, 
and husband Cliff Lee, who pastors at Leesburg First Baptist in Florida, and I've been friends with them a long time. If you're half as sweet as your sister, you're pretty incredible, and uh, the, 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 the bar is high. Jean had good girls, that's all I know, and uh, so we're grateful for her being here with us today. We're glad that you're here today. We look forward to being back with you next week. You've been a blessing to Mary and I. We, in turn, want to be a blessing to you. And so we're looking forward to spending this summer with you as we make our way into the fall, as we pray faithfully for the search committee and uh, know that there's great days ahead for this wonderful church. You're the body of Christ. You're some of the best that God has, and he's placed you here together for such a time as this. Now get out of here. We love you.